for some of you, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jeremy Humble. I'm one of the elders at Crossbridge. I'm part of our governing board. I'm a member of our preaching team. I'm on the Setup and Teardown team, and I've been privileged to lead our Wednesday night men's life group. I do a lot of stuff here. I love to serve here. None of those things pay my bills, though. So what I do to pay my bills is my career is I'm an industrial hygienist. That probably means absolutely nothing to you because that means absolutely nothing to most people when I tell them that. In fact, when I told Reverend Will what I did, I think his first response was, what, do you, do you, do you stand outside like buildings with a giant toothbrush and like scrub buildings, is that? Okay, that's not actually 100% wrong. Um, so what I do is, um, or at least a major component of what I do in my job is, I go into buildings and I look for hazardous materials. I do inspections, I'm looking for stuff like asbestos and lead and mercury and mold, all sorts of that fun stuff. So that's what I get to do for my job, is to locate and find those things so that they can be taken care of or remediated, safely handled to make the building safe. And as part of that job, I have a lot of tools in my toolbox. Um, tools to go take samples, tools to demo parts of buildings that I need to get into, to uh, screwdrivers to access hatches or wherever I need to go. But one of the most important tools that I have is actually this. It's a flashlight. Because where I often am, I'm in pretty crummy buildings a lot of times. Places that are dimly lit or have no power at all. I'm in the basements, I'm in the attics. I am in the absolute worst parts of the worst buildings that you can be in. And I need this flashlight to do my job. I need to be able to see into all these dark spaces. My problem is, it's also the tool that I lose the most often. There are a lot of flashlights above ceilings in a lot of stores and a lot of buildings across the tri-state area. And I lose this a lot. And so recently I lost my flashlight yet again. And I went out and I purchased, I purchased this one actually. This is a really cool flashlight, I thought. It's a rechargeable flashlight, which means I don't have to remember to carry batteries around with me all the time because I forget that too. So I can recharge this just using a cable and you know, it's environmentally friendly. So I love this new flashlight. And I got it out, and the first time I used it, it was awesome. And it, I used it for a few days, and it had plenty of juice. And then as it started to let me know that it was running low, I went back to the office, and I took the cable, and I plugged it in, and I charged it up. And it worked great again. And then after a few more times of using it, it was getting low again, so I went back, I plugged it in again. I took the flashlight the next day, went out to a client site, I turned it on, and it lasted for about, oh, about five minutes or so, and then it turned off. Now, let me tell you, it's kind of embarrassing when that happens, when you're actually on a job site with a client and suddenly you don't have the tool that you need to use. It's not only embarrassing, but here I am, I got my cell phone trying to use that little flash on my cell phone, which you all know is horrible. I mean, it's great in a pinch, but it doesn't help me do my job. So now all of a sudden I'm in a dark place, I'm not able to do my job properly, and it's a little more dangerous even being in these really crummy places with without having the proper light. So I was a little frustrated. So I went back and I plugged the light again in again, and the next day I was a little bit smarter. I went and tried it before I got to the job site, and wouldn't you know it, it didn't work again. So at this point I'm really frustrated. I grabbed like an inferior flashlight that we had sitting around the office. I used that for the day, and when I get back to the office, I grab this, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So as I grab it, I realize one thing. So I had a hard time even trying to figure out how to charge this the first time. When I looked at it, there was no obvious charging port, but I found out that it kind of turns a little bit here. It kind of spins out and it exposes this port. So I had found that, and 
Of course, like any self-respecting man, it took me a while to figure that out because I had immediately thrown the directions out when I got this out of the package. And it worked great the first few times, but then it wasn't. But, so I took this and I looked a little closer. And as I looked a little closer, I realized a couple of things. One, my sight's not as good as it was, and I had a really hard time reading. There's actually words right by the, uh, the little port here. But I noticed something else. When I turned the flashlight, there's actually two ports in the flashlight, which I hadn't noticed before because, again, I had thrown the directions out. You see, there's actually an input and there's an out as well. And what I had been doing is I had been taking that connection and I had been plugging it into the out. I took my charger and when I cooked up that cable, I plugged it into the out port so it wasn't actually getting charged up. I assumed there was only one connection. And because of that, instead of providing badly needed light in the darkness, my flashlight, it was left empty and unable to fulfill its purpose. And way too often in my life, maybe like you, I found myself in that exact same position. All my life, I've heard that the way to connect to God is to read the Bible, pray, and sit in silence and solitude. That's how you connect to God. And the thing is, I've done all those things, and you know what? I'm going to continue to do those things because they do actually charge me, but maybe I don't always feel the most full from those things. But they haven't always felt super engaging to me. And maybe some of you have felt that too, that, you know, sitting in the Bible, reading the Bible, that's great. Sitting in silence and solitude, maybe that does something for you, but it's just not really what connects you to God. And you try doing all these things, but you feel like you're running close to empty. Or you are empty. And the thought of pouring into others out of what you have is something that you dread because you don't have anything to give. It's hard to shine God's light into others when our batteries are low or empty, isn't it? So maybe a decade ago or so, I realized that being outside in nature, it really fueled me, and it connected me to God in an amazing way. Sitting in a secluded area, surrounded by his majesty, leads to a worship in my heart that fills my battery. So I've identified a whole lot with Jimmy's message in week two about what a naturalist is and where he talks about what that looks like. But it wasn't until I read the book Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas, the book that most of our series is rooted in, that I was able to give a name and a description to another way that's the primary way in my life that I connect to God and how I am fueled. Much like I realized when I was younger that I learned best not through having someone just describe something to me or trying to read something, but where I learned best is actually seeing it and touching it with my own hands. I realized that I'm able to connect to God through my senses. If you took that survey that we, that we uh, provided at the beginning of the series and this was one of your higher areas, the sensate area, then you probably do as well. But what, what does that mean? What does that look like? While others may best connect in solitude and simplicity or connect intellectually, a sensate connects to God through the sensuous. The beauty of God and his creativity, it fills our souls. What we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we feel, what we smell, it can root in us in a deeply emotional way and charge our batteries. The things we experience through our senses here on earth reveal a piece of the majesty and grandeur of the God who created us. 
If you've ever looked at a painting and you've been overcome by the beauty and felt a profound emotional connection that pierced you and left a deep impact, you might be a sensate. If you sat listening to music and you felt overcome, carried away into God's presence, you may be a sensate. If you've taken the time to smell something that reminded you of the sweetness of God, the bitterness of loss, or the freshness of life, you may be a sensate. If you've taken a bite of food and it's electrified your taste buds, reminding you of God's provision, his creativity, or his richness, you might be a sensate. If you've stood outside and you've felt the cool, life-giving rain fall against your skin, or you've run your hands over a fine piece of fabric and it's caused you to appreciate the talent and the craftsmanship that God has provided, you might be a sensate. Our five main senses, sight, smell, taste, hearing, and touch, they're a primary way of connecting us to the world and the people around us. See, our brain, it takes these millions of points of information that are out there, and it takes them into our brain through our senses, and it interprets it, and it prioritizes them, and it ultimately forms them together into what our perception of the world is. That's what creates our own individual perception of what the world is, is what we take in through our senses. Our understanding and our experiencing of the world around us, it's created and informed largely by how our senses connect us to the world and to each other. And just as our senses connect us to the world and to others, our senses can connect us to God as well. Now I know, okay, some of you might be skeptical about this, and you're not even sure this is an actual thing, especially if you're hiring those intellectual and traditionalist connection points. You might be looking at this and saying, I don't get it. That's okay. But I want to dive into Scripture together in the hopes of helping you see this. So, I mean, just look at all the great sense-related descriptors in the passage that Ben read for us in Revelations. In verse 10, it says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. The hair on his head, in verse 14, was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. In verse 15, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. These are such vivid, sensual descriptions used to describe the nature of God. So this morning, let's walk through our five major senses together and explore how Scripture shows us how to connect to God through our senses and how we may experience God through our senses today. So let's start with the sense of sight. In 1 Kings chapter 6, we find a description of the temple that Solomon built. This inner sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide and 30 feet high. He overlaid the inside with solid gold. He also overlaid the altar made of cedar. Then Solomon overlaid the rest of the temple's interior with solid gold, and he made gold chains to protect the entrance to the most holy place. So he finished overlaying the entire temple with gold, including the altar that belonged to the most holy place. I want you to take a minute. I want you to imagine what that looked like. Can you imagine how stunningly bright and brilliant a temple completely covered in gold looked? It goes on to describe 15-foot-tall cherubims that are covered in gold, walls and doors that are covered in carvings of cherubims, trees, and flowers that are then overlaid in gold. When the Jewish people walked into the temple filled with this gleaming precious metals and meticulously carved decorations, it had to be an awe-inspiring experience that forced them to pause and appreciate the glory of God with their sight and be reminded of his brilliance. 
God clearly wanted his people to be reminded of his glory and magnificence every time they entered his temple. And we can experience this today in some of our church buildings. Some of our church buildings have amazing stained glass or carvings or paintings or architecture. Okay, maybe the school that we're meeting in this morning isn't exactly covered in gold. Okay, I'll admit that. So maybe we're not going to get that here exactly. But you know what? It doesn't have to be in a church building. It doesn't even have to be in a church service where we experience this. We can experience God through what we see in nature. We can experience it in art. We can experience it when we see amazing architecture or many other myriad ways that we can experience God through what we see. We can experience his grandeur by a lot of things that are out there. Similarly, we can look at God's instructions to the Jewish people on the tabernacle. Now, remember, the tabernacle was kind of their portable church that they created after they escaped Egypt. And we can look and see how God uses a sense of smell to connect his people to himself. See, when the nation of Israel was freed from Egypt, God gave instructions on exactly what the tabernacle should look like. And one of the instructions that he gave to Moses was that Moses is to go in and burn incense every morning and every evening. Exodus chapter 3 gives instructions on creating this incense. Then the Lord says to Moses, Gather fragrant spices, resin droplets, mollusk shell, and galbanin, and mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense, weighed out in equal amounts. You must treat this incense as most holy. Never use this formula to make this incense for yourselves. It is reserved for the Lord, and you must treat it as holy. God's house, it would have had this very specific, complex, wonderful smell that would only be associated with God. Every time the Jewish people would have been around this, this particular smell is immediately going to be associated with the presence of God. You see, our sense of smell, it's one of the most powerful memory triggers that we have. I'm sure there are certain smells in your life that as soon as you smell that, it takes you immediately back to a specific childhood memory because that's the way we're wired. So for the Jewish nation, that smell would have immediately been a reminder that they're in a holy place. We can actually practice this in our lives today in a very similar way. We can take incense or essential oils or some other consistent smell that we can have during our time of reading scripture and prayer. And as we develop that routine, we can use that to enhance that because when we smell that sensuous aroma, it can begin to trigger our brains to go into a time of worship in connection with God, so that it draws us into, into his presence. We also see in scripture where the sense of taste is used to connect us to what God has to offer us. In fact, in Psalm 34, David flat out tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, it doesn't get much more clear than that. Now, the Jewish people, they're actually going to very much understand this connection of food to God. We read in Exodus 12 that when they're captive in in Egypt, God orders them to kill a lamb as well as make and eat unleavened or yeastless bread as a ritual that they're doing. And that night, God's angel comes and kills every firstborn male in Egypt, but he passes over the houses of the Jewish people who follow these, these instructions. The Jewish people were then freed from Egypt, and God instructed them to Going forward, remember what he had done by celebrating Passover every year by eating that unleavened bread for seven days. Eating that unleavened bread is a reminder every year of how quickly God rescued them because they didn't have time to bake bread, to have the yeast rise in the bread 
So every time they eat that unleavened bread, it reminds them of that moment. Every time they put it in their mouth, it's a connection to God's salvation and his care for them. We get to experience a piece of this when we take communion together. But we can also experience this and experience God when we eat something sweet and are reminded of the sweetness of his love. When we eat something spicy and we feel God's passion. Or even when we eat something bitter and we're reminded of the brokenness of this world in comparison to God. And just like we read about God's reminder of his care for his people in eating unleavened bread, we also read about God's care in the story of Elijah. In 1 Kings 19, we read about how Elijah experiences God with his hearing. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out, and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love, I love this passage so much because Elijah's actually hiding in the mountains in this cave right now because he's had this intense confrontation with the evil king and queen at this time. And instead of God showing up in the really loud, intense, powerful, and scary parts of nature, he shows up in the gentle whisper to comfort Elijah. God gets his attention and he wants him to listen, but he speaks in gentleness. We can experience God today through, through our hearing in all sorts of ways. Maybe it's a bubbling brook hearing it in, in, uh, hearing his peace through that babbling brook. Maybe it's hearing his authoritative voice in the rumble of the thunder in a storm. Or being filled with awe of his majesty listening to worship music. Our ears can connect us to God if we're willing to listen. But Sometimes for some of us, just hearing isn't enough, though. We read about one of Jesus' disciples experiencing Jesus through touch in a pretty remarkable way when hearing from others wasn't enough. We read about his encounter with Jesus after Jesus' death and his resurrection in John chapter 20. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound on his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless anymore. Believe. When Thomas had doubt in his life, he's literally invited to experience God by touching him. Okay, that might not exactly be an option to us today. I'm just going to admit that. If any of you have touched God, I would love to hear all about it. But the reality is that's probably not what our experience is going to look like. But I can guarantee that many of you have received a hug from someone when you most needed it. And in that hug, you didn't just feel them hugging you, but you felt the loving embrace of God through that touch. 
Or maybe you've stood in the rain and you felt God just washing away the dirt and the grime and the mess of your life. And as an everyday practice, I think we can actually put an, a really cool thing into our, into our lives as an everyday practice and take a cue from our Catholic brethren. We can hold wooden prayer beads as we pray. And as we pray and hold those prayer beads, we can feel the wood of that cross that Jesus died on and have a connection to him. Throughout the Bible, we see in so many different ways how our senses can connect us to God or remind us of him, but really, how does that actually fill us? How does that fill our batteries? Because, I mean, for all the talk about our different senses and even reading these scriptures about it, none of it actually really describes the mechanism of connecting to him and how that charges us, right? And, all right, maybe some of all, all this talk of senses and emotionalism stuff, maybe it's still not your thing. I get that. That's okay. Some of you don't connect that way, but all right, maybe for some of you, maybe lists are. So great news. I have three ways that I believe that God uses our senses to connect to him and charge our batteries. So first, God reveals himself to us through our senses. God has created us as an image, and the senses that we have that he gave us as an image of him allow us to experience different pieces of who he is. For me, the naturalist connection piece is actually very often tied with the sensate side of me. Walking outside after a spring rain and smelling that fresh smell immediately reminds me of God's provision and the renewed life that he brings. Sitting next to a quiet stream puts me instantly at ease and just melts that stress away as I feel God's greatness and gentleness and care for me in the whisper of that running water. Four years ago, I took a trip with my wife and daughter to some of the national parks out west, and I almost can't express in words the deep connection and appreciation I felt for God's majesty, his creativity, and his awesome splendor as I sat on the edge of the amphitheater at Bryce Canyon and watched the sunrise while reading scripture. This is, this is a picture of what I saw. Now that morning when I sat there, there wasn't a single other person around me, not a, not a person around me. As I sat there, and I, my eyes drank in just the incredible display of colors before me. And I felt God's life-giving warmth from the rising sun begin to embrace me. I don't know if you've had a similar experience, but it was, it was really this incredible moment of being in God's presence and so very clearly hearing him speak directly into my heart saying, Do you, do you see this? Do you see how incredible my creation is? I made this for you. Right now, there is nobody else that sees this right now except for you. I have made this incredible moment. I've painted this amazing tapestry. I'm giving you this warmth, and this is for you and nobody else. I have done this for you. Do you know that I love you this much? I made all of this. I made all of this amazing creation, and I called it good. But it was only when I made man, when I made you, that I called it very good. You are mine, and I want to share all of this with you. I want you in my presence here with me. That's, that's a soul-altering moment, let me tell you. So photos like the one from Bryce and this one from Zion, they actually they hang in my house because just seeing these photos brings me back to this amazing 
moment in life. And they have amazing ability to settle my spirit and take me back to this moment where God spoke his love and majesty into my heart. Whether it's through nature, art, music, food, smells, or touch, when we're brought into God's presence through our senses, it gives us a new or renewed understanding of not only who he is, but who we are as well. When we're invited into the presence of our creator, it deepens our relationship with him. Just as we can get to know who someone is through what they write or what they paint or what they sing or what they cook, we can know God more fully when we experience him through our senses. And the amazing thing is, the incredible thing is, it doesn't actually have to be explicitly Christian music or Christian art that we do this through. A beautiful love song can point me to God's love for me and his call for me to love others. A painting of a raging sea can emphasize his power and control of the universe. Great music and great art, even when it's not necessarily intended to be Christian or point to Jesus, it can still reveal God's character to us and point us towards him because it points to his creativity, his beauty, and his perfection. That's because not only does God reveal himself to us through our senses, but we can connect to him through our senses and charge our batteries because secondly, see, lists, I got you intellectuals. Secondly, beauty inspires humility. Okay, all my life, I've wanted to be able to draw or paint wall. It's something I've always wanted to do, but quite frankly, I am absolutely terrible at it. I cannot draw a straight line with a ruler. If I could take one of those photos and paint it, I would love to do that, but I can't do that. But seeing a Monet painting in person and being able to see all those textures of paint, all those little smudges, those little dots, combining to create something so beautiful, it creates deep humility in with me because I know never in a million years could I create anything even close to that. Or, all right, have you ever tasted something so good that it actually ruins that thing that you thought was okay previously? Uh, Recently, I had that experience. I had a friend give me a jar of chocolate sauce, this chocolate fudge, and he told me that this was going to ruin other chocolate sauces for me. And of course, you know, I, okay, sure, whatever. You know, you take it knowingly, like, you know, kind of roll the eyes a little bit, like, okay, whatever. I've had chocolate sauce, It's, it's chocolate sauce. Let me tell you, he was right. Basically, after eating this, like Hershey's chocolate syrup, it's basically dirt to me now. It's ruined every other chocolate sauce for me because it was that good. And that's what can happen. Great art, great beauty. It elevates our senses, and it can elevate our expectations and understanding of what truly great is. It changes our entire framework. It moves us beyond our own limitations And it gives us an appreciation and a desire for the truly great. This is what God constantly calls us to. As Gary Thomas puts it in his book, once we've experienced such quality, we can never go back to mediocre. Just as once we have tasted God, we lose our taste for the world. It's only when we are humble by recognizing the poverty of our current condition, after we are exposed to something truly beautiful, that we can aspire to greater things. When we experience God's true glory and his goodness, the things of this world begin to lose their appeal in the face of something so much better. 
So much of what we get fixated on in this life and we indulge in, it has appeal to us in the moment, but when we're exposed to the true beauty of the one and only God, that's when we begin to realize that once what held our attention is nothing more than a poor imitation, a shadow of what God truly offers. We try to find happiness, pleasure, and meaning in cheap copies of what God offers, and we end up continually empty, just gorging ourselves on these shadows. It's only when we be inspired to humility by exposure to the greatness of God that we can truly be filled by what he offers. And once we've been filled, the appetite for those cheap imitations that always leaves us hungry, it begins to fade away. When God has revealed himself to us and brought humility to us in order to elevate our expectations, and he's truly filled us, we then are thirdly able to, third, there we go for those list guys, we can be inspired to action. As we were soaping Ezekiel, it struck me as I was reading these vivid and fantastical descriptions of what God looked like and all these heavenly creatures that the author here is actually struggling to find words that adequately describe what he's witnessing. God's glory, it's so far beyond anything that we have to reference that no words can truly capture it. And when we're brought into God's presence, it fills us and it actually changes us to the point that we have no choice but to do something with that. I mean, when we read Ezekiel, it can be really hard to believe that Ezekiel obeys God through all these really difficult and crazy circumstances. I mean, you want to talk about sensates or sense, uh, sensual scriptures? How about Ezekiel laying on his side for a year, eating bread that's cooked over dung? I mean, that's pretty wild, right? But if we remember that everything starts with Ezekiel having this vision of God where he's exposed to the overwhelming majesty of God to the point where he falls to his knees and he covers his face because he's so blown away by the majesty of God, it's a lot easier to believe that he has no choice but to follow God's instructions and act because nothing else compares to the presence of God. Throughout my life, I've really kind of identified more of an, as an intellectual in school and work more than an artist or creative type. That's just my personality. And yet, without a doubt, I can say I feel most in God's presence, not when I'm reading or when I'm silent, but when I'm experiencing him in a much more visceral and emotional level through nature and through my senses. When I've been exposed to God in a way that I have no way to even put words to, there's really no option but to then share that with others. For me, when my senses allow me to enter into God's presence and experience him and know him in a greater way, it not only charges my battery, it actually increases the size of my battery. When I'm exposed to something that's so much bigger than I ever thought possible, so much greater than I ever thought possible, it's not just about charging me, it's about expanding what I thought was possible. When exposed to the true glory and greatness of God, it expands something in me, and it compels me to love and serve in greater ways than I ever thought was possible. Just like when you hear an amazing new song, or you experience an incredible meal, or see an incredible movie or piece of art, what, what do you want to do? You want to go and you want to tell other people. You want to share that with other people. Oh my goodness, you have to go to this restaurant. They have the most amazing food. You've got to see this movie. It's the most amazing movie. It really changed me. When we are exposed to God, when we're brought into his awe-inspiring presence and allowed to understand who he is and be filled with him, that should inspire us to share him with others. 
when we become aware of our poverty and aspire to greater things, there really isn't any other option but to do the same for others. The only rational reaction to being exposed to who God is and having our battery charged to overflowing is to turn on our flashlights. It's to shine our lights into the lives of others and point them into the presence of God. For those I just blinded, I apologize. <laughs> Being drawn into God's presence through our senses and the beauty that we experience is a wonderful thing. And ultimately, we're created, and our purpose is to be with him and to worship him. But, if we've experienced the beauty in God's presence beyond anything that human words can comprehend, and we don't do anything with it, how selfish and hateful towards others is that? When God has been good enough to fill us with his presence, it's not good enough just to be satisfied and happy with being filled. We must take that experience and act on it and share that light with others. A charged battery, a charged flashlight, it's useless and it's pointless if we don't have some, do something with it, if we're not shining it into the lives of others and pointing them towards Jesus. But just like we've been talking about in our series so far, there are dangers in being a sensate. There's dangers in experiencing and connecting to God this way. We can easily fall into the temptation of simply indulging in our senses for our own enjoyment and pleasure. Rather than listening to music and hearing God speak, we can simply listen to our, for, our own, to our, for our own enjoyment. Now, okay, I'm not saying that listening for your, to music for your own enjoyment is a bad thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But just because we're listening to music doesn't mean that we're connecting to God. Seeing a beautiful piece of art can connect us to a piece of God, but seeing or watching something simply for our own enjoyment can turn into simply seeking it out for our own pleasure and objectifying it and worshiping it instead of letting it point us to God. Experiencing God's richness, sweetness, or even bitterness of this world through food is absolutely something that we can do. That is something that we can do. But we can also simply seek out our own pleasure and enjoyment through food and forget the creator who provided it. It can be pretty easy to begin to lose focus, and instead of allowing our senses to reveal God and fill us, we can seek out the simpler pleasures of this world and try to satisfy ourselves with those shadows rather than allowing them to point us to the fullness of God in his presence. But we inevitably find if we seek to fill ourselves with earthly pleasures, we're never going to fill our batteries. It's only when we seek out God through our senses that we're going to be truly filled. But even when we're not straying into that realm of gluttony, which that's what that is, when we're seeking out our own pleasures of these things, that's gluttony. When we're not straying into that realm, we can still seek out our own, we can still find ourselves in danger if we find ourselves getting swept up in our senses and our emotionalism with nothing to ground us. I've seen this play out in my life a number of times, um, either in myself or others, where you have an amazing worship experience. Maybe it's a worship night, or it's going away on a retreat, and you have this amazing moment. Or maybe you saw a movie, and it was a, maybe a Christian movie, or it had an amazing message, and it just really swept you up emotionally. But without an intentional focus on God and a grounding in Scripture, the experience can end up being nothing more than a passing wind that blows through us and it ends in an emotional crash and an apathy once that experience is over. 
How many times have you found yourself becoming emotionally excited and charged during worship, but then you realize at some point that you don't even know the words that you're singing. You're just, you're singing, but you're not even aware of what you're singing. And the words are basically meaningless. I confess, I I found myself doing that often. When we seek to experience God through our senses, there should be an intentionality and a grounding in it. It should not be about simple entertainment or emotionalism. How many times have you stood here and sung promises or proclamations to God during worship that were outright lies? But the music was really good, and Will's singing had you feeling, had me feeling, I don't know, some, something, right? It was good. That's what matters, right? When you sang, set a, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. Do you really mean that? That is a dangerous thing to say. That is a dangerous thing. Do you really want to relinquish all control to God to the point where you have a fire burning out of control inside of you that drives you to obey him no matter what he asks of you? Or did it just feel good to sing a really great sounding song with a hundred plus other people? Are you singing a lie to God? Are you being filled with the Spirit? Or are you being filled with emotion? When we get caught up in our senses, we can lose focus of who it's about, and you can miss the opportunity to truly be in his presence. We settle for the temporary emotional high rather than the true feeling that being in God's presence provides us. It's important to be intentional about using our senses to seek out God and to make sure that we constantly link those experiences back to his word. We'll never live life constantly on emotional mountaintops So it's important to have a solid foundation to come back to stand on. Just like my flashlight when it's not plugged in correctly, it might turn on for a little bit. It's still got some juice in there. We can shine brightly for a moment, but we burn out quickly and we find ourselves empty if we don't have that foundation. And when we're empty and we're unable to provide light to others, we feel that emptiness, don't we? We feel that, and it weighs on us because we know that we're unable to fulfill our purpose here on earth when our batteries are empty. We're designed for connection to God, to be filled by him, and to shine that light into the lives of others and to help charge the batteries of others. We shine God's light into the lives of others so that they know that they are loved by God, and more importantly, we shine that into their lives to point them towards God in the life that he brings. We seek out God through our senses, not just because it gives us a taste of who God is, but it allows us to experience him in deep ways that change us and it charges us. But we do that not just for those things, but because it fills us up so that we can live with purpose and we can guide others into whatever way that looks like for them towards God. So I have some homework for you guys this week. This week, I want to challenge you guys to do two things, whether you're a sensate or not. First, I want you to intentionally seek out something of great beauty. I want it to be something new to you. Don't go find something that you go to all, all the time. Go find a great piece of new music, an incredible painting, a masterful bite of food, something of great beauty or craftsmanship. And I want you to spend some intentional time. You're going to have to slow down to do this. We're not good about that. I know that. But you're going to have to slow down for this. And I want you to take some intentional time appreciating that beauty. And I want you to ask God to speak to you through whatever that is and to reveal himself to you. 
seek out his presence through your senses. Now second, I want you to seek out beauty in something mundane. Sometimes the most profound truths are actually found in appreciating the simple things in the mundane, the simple beauty in the mundane. All right, how many times have you found yourself, you're driving, maybe it's to work or back home or the kids somewhere, and it's a route you drove all the time, and about 10 minutes into the drive, you realize that you have no memory of the previous 10 minutes that you were driving. Like, there is nothing there. It is blank. You've been driving on autopilot. You know, the truth is, we, we do this in life all the time, don't we? I don't say this in a shaming way, but many of us treat our bodies like it's the simple meat vehicle transporting our brain around, and we just put our senses into autopilot. We're going around, we're living life up here, but we're not experiencing anything with our senses. We've turned that off. I want you to take time. Again, you're going to have to slow down for this and appreciate the everyday beauty that's right in front of you, that's in your life, that you might be taking for granted because you're just on autopilot. Maybe it's simply listening to the songs of the nearby birds singing. Maybe it's appreciating all the distinct flavors and the same lunch that you eat every single day. And as you do that, I want you to thank God for all the blessings and beauty in your life. God can show up in the raging storms and blazing fire, but he also shows up in the gentle whispers of everyday life. The question is, are you watching? Are you listening? I'd like to encourage you that when you're doing these things this week, I want you to write down how God is speaking to you through these things. And then I want you to, I want you to go do something with it. Wherever God meets you and whatever truth he has for you, don't just accept that for you. I want you to take it and let it move you to action. I'd also encourage you and share that something with others. Whatever God is putting on your heart, share it with somebody else, what God is showing you. I mean, selfishly, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear how God speaks to you this week. You can shoot me a message. You can grab me next week and tell me. I would love to hear all about it. Actually, what I really love what I really love is that we get to do this every week. We get to do this, put this into practice right now. One of the most amazing sensory practices that we follow is celebrating communion together. So this week, as Will comes up and plays for us, I want those of you who are taking communion to intentionally focus on the sensory connections that communion offers us. Now, if you haven't made the decision to follow Christ, please don't, don't feel pressure to take communion. Actually, Scripture makes it clear that communion is for those who have made the decision to follow him. Um, so you can just take this time, sit back, and focus on um, how your senses are connecting you to God right now. But for those of you who are taking communion today, I want to actually give you guys some instructions and walk you through what I want you to do this morning as you take communion. As you come up, I want each of you to break a wafer. Yeah, I know, sometimes they're already broken in half and you just want to take that half, but I want you to break that wafer. That wafer, it represents God's body broken for us. And I want each of you to feel that this morning. Our sin, our sin is what broke his bones. And I want you to feel that weight and that responsibility of that sin as you feel that wafer break and you hear the snap. I want you to imagine the bones of Christ being broken as he was whipped and beaten. And then I want you to take that broken wafer and I want you to give it a good dip in that juice. Not just a little dunk. I want you to really get that juice on there. And when you walk back to your chair, I want you to hold it. I want you to hold it upright. 
And I don't want you to put a hand under it to catch. I want you to let that juice drip down that wafer onto your hand. And as it does this, I want you to remember Christ's blood shed for you. I want you to feel his blood running off his body and covering you in his grace this morning. So this morning, when you're ready, come to the table, join in communion together, and once everyone's back to your seats holding that, we'll take and eat together this morning. Now, when you eat the wafer, I want you to taste the sweetness of the juice and let it remind you of the sweetness of God's love and his grace for you. His blood was given willingly as a sacrifice for you, a sweet sacrifice that provides life to all who follow him. And when you taste and you feel that unleavened wafer in your mouth, let it remind you of God's promise and his salvation for his people. Jesus broke the bread and he said, take it, for this is my body. And Jesus took the cup of wine and he said, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. So now eat and drink. As we close this morning, like to pray this passage from Philippians over you. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or even seen in me, put it into practice. And the God peace will be with you. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.